dear friends and welcome to our podcast dedicated to sight reading through the lens of the historically informed performance practice. My name is Darina Ablogina and I'm back after a short break working for Rema and preparing a special season of the early music podcast for them. You will find the link in the description. Follow, listen, there are many cool interviews. So this episode is a very special one. It's dedicated to a person that we all know very well, or maybe not very well, but we know the name for sure. And I must warn you guys, I was on the way, I was traveling with my little microphone, and I was taking this interview in a hotel, and it was very noisy around, so the sound quality is maybe not what I would wish for this episode, but nevertheless, my conversation partner was amazing. So enjoy the talk and see you soon. Hello, I am uh, Lucas, uh, Lucas Debarg. I'm a, a French pianist and I am glad to do this little interview with you, Darina. I'm here in Lucerne not to play a concert, but to rehearse with dear friends of mine, uh, brothers Castro Balbi. And this time there was an opportunity to all join in, in Lucerne to have some good musical time together. And could you share your journey of becoming a musician, a piano player? I, I, I had a strong interest in music when I was a kid. So I started to play the piano at the age of 10. And it was not because I was so fascinated by the piano as an instrument maybe the dream of becoming a concert pianist that was not that was not my thing my thing was that with the piano i understood very quickly it's an instrument on which you can you are independent you can you can play the rhythm the harmony the melody you can play orchestral scores you can play quartets you can play operas you can accompany someone singing a song and all this was very clear to me and uh, so for me it was like some kind of opportunism uh, to choose the piano because I just wanted to, to discover and to swallow as much music as possible. Mm -hmm. And the, the piano appeared to be the best instrument for this. So I had some teachers, they were showing me some things, but I was restless. I was mm -hmm. always like looking for new scores. I was always like exploring, trying to, to play things that were much too hard for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I had these lessons until the age of 15, but I was already playing things of the repertoire. I was playing Chopin Scherzi, I was playing Mephist Liszt, Mephistovars and Sonata, I was playing uh, Beethoven Sonatas, like the Wallstein one, for example. And oh, wow. some, yeah, and Rachmaninoff uh, Second Piano Concerto. There is no recording of it, but I, I don't think it was good, and I don't think I, were, I had the level to do this. But I was really committed, I really wanted to to do it and I and, and when I played I, I was it put me in a kind of a tra trance mm -hmm. and I remember like in the class uh, audition little auditions you know um, I remember the reaction of the people around that they were a bit they seemed a bit scared mm -hmm. because I was so and, and it's still the case when I'm at the piano when I'm on stage I forget about how to behave mm -hmm. and uh, politeness or mm -hmm. whatever I'm just feeling naked swimming in the music and then I stopped I, I joined the rock band actually I was playing the, ba the bass in a rock band I played some jazz and I went back to classical music only in my 20s
really practice, one would say, in a professional way. Yeah. Because I met a, a coach, uh, Rena Sherishevskaya, mm -hmm. a Russian uh, pianist who works in France now yeah. for 30 years. Wow. She's in France and she's yeah. teaching in France. The greatest thing for me was to discover what is called interpretation. Mm -hmm. And she was the, the first to really tell me about that. Okay, I met some fantastic musicians and some very, very nice teachers. But it was about playing the notes, memorizing, like maybe some technical things. But I never heard so much about interpretation. Interpretation was like, uh, yeah, you do what you want, you do how, well, how you feel. At the beginning, it was really like, a, I felt like I, my musical skin had to change completely if I want to go further in this world. And it took me time to be passionate mm. about this. I entered the Paris Conservatory and then I tried some competition. And finally, we went to the Tchaikovsky in 2015. Yeah, that was my question. My next question, how did you arrive to this idea to go to... But now I understand the connection with your teacher also. Yes, it was very much our our plan, our yeah. crazy plan. We agreed on the program and we practiced this program like really seriously. I have to say during these three or four years, I was really committed. And I kept the program and I saw my teacher, Lena, I, I saw her maybe three, four, three, four times a week. Yeah. I could not imagine I could make the finals yeah. of this competition. Uh, and then it was the, the, the toughest for me was the time after mm. when I was expected for the, the prize I got and the, the, there were very big expectations, a lot of pressure and yeah. I had no experience yeah. and I was not completely sure this is what I yeah. want to do. Basically, I went to the competition not to get a prize. I really went there to, to have a goal in my life that was difficult at that moment and uh, to have the opportunity to play this magical place mm -hmm. in the Great Hall yeah, of Moscow yeah. Conservatory. And it was an incredible experience in June 2015. You mentioned this pressure, but how did you feel in the competition while playing it? Did you also feel that the judges, because you know, like the special approach, and maybe they are looking at you in a more like very serious way? The sensation was amazing to be there because after all this work, I was feeling like I'm breaking free. When I was on stage, I just mostly enjoyed. I, I didn't have the stress of competition that so many friends of mine told me about mm -hmm. because I was focused in this program very much and I knew what I, what I played. I had like the support of my teacher who was there in Moscow. I didn't think about the, the jury. I didn't think about the other contestants. Mm -hmm. No, I even went to listen to some others. It was wonderful summer in Moscow, very warm weather and a super inspiring moment with players coming from all over the world. We had drinks between the rounds and uh, it was a spirit that you can find I, I, like a kind of art campus. Afterwards, you mentioned this um, an easy period after the competition. How how would you describe that? It was really hard before before coming out on stage. Like uh, for my concerts, I was sometimes I was thinking I will die. The moments before the concert and the first minutes of a concert were just like a nightmare. This is also what makes me feel the 
great responsibility because I feel that I am one of the few lucky ones who made it. And that many, many talented musicians, they, they don't make it. They would love to have a prize in a competition or they have a prize in a competition and then still they don't have engagements. So this, this is not easy and I'm really lucky because I managed to get a prize there and I managed to have a lot of engagements to work with fabulous musicians on wonderful stages. I think about this. I really think, I never forget how much I am lucky and this is helping me also to stay focused and to try to think further than just about myself and my own projects, but to really think that I'm part of the few ones responsible also for this, yeah. you know, what I want to communicate, what is the message I want to yeah. communicate, yeah. what is the, the, the philosophical, the musical message I want to communicate. It's hard for me nowadays to, it's terrible what I would say, but uh, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of music, I'm very, as I, as I told you, I'm very curious. It's very seldom that I find an artist that, with whom I really get passionate. Why do you think it's like that? Maybe it's a recording process that you can just play two bars and then next two bars and record them ten times? Maybe, but even doing this, you know, like Glenn Gould for his second Goldberg version, he did like really like bits and it's still, you might like it or not like it, but it's a strong artistic statement. I never believe that like, classical music is like a, a dead language and that uh, we as classical musicians, we are here to just protect this museum. You found your way of transmitting this excitement that you get from the music that you play to the audience. But why do you think there is a missing link for other people? What is the navigation mystery? No idea. It's a mystery for me. I think there are different audiences, there are different performers. I think that there are some performers who really like, for example, they would, their aim would be to play clean, respecting yeah. the text and uh, be recognized by the academic authorities, critics, teachers. I understand that some people can be attra attracted by this. This is not my thing. First of all, I am a listener. Okay. I am a music lover. So uh, when I play, I play things I, I hear or I would like to hear. I would not hesitate a second. I would go for, the, for what I feel as a spirit of the piece. And now, there was, there was not so long ago, I didn't feel confident with this because I felt like, but who am I? But actually, if there were more, more independence, because all this, I, I rediscovered it like late in my musical path. I'm talking about like starting to study harmony uh, like four or five years ago, like really starting to dig this. I would have loved to get introduced to that much earlier. And because it makes you more independent. Because then you have a strong base to analyze a score, to understand a score, to memorize it. Then you memorize super fast, thanks to this, and, and in a very solid way. And, uh, and then you can make a choice being more confident and not asking for the help of any critic or any teacher or something. Because, because you know that you are not against the musical language and you know that the composer was working hand in hand with the musical language. He used the musical language to serve his dramatic purpose. Yeah, yeah but also like you were talking before that sometimes you listen to CDs and you lack different like solid interpretations, individual approaches. And what I was thinking about it is that the conservatory system that we know that has been established since like basically it's a 19th century system that we know and we are going through, everybody of us. So uh, I think it's actually preserving us from being in a way individuals. I mean, it's a controversial thing that I'm saying, but 
do you also feel it sometimes? I mean, maybe you were extremely lucky with your teacher, but I think the system, the problem of the system is really like we are experiencing it now with younger generations. Yeah, it all depends. I think that you can have fabulous teachers in um, conservatories. I was lucky enough to meet Rena, who worked actually in a conservatory in France near Paris and in Ecole Normale, Ecole Corto, mm -hmm. in the center of Paris. So she belonged to some institutions, but she had her own way. And she trained a lot of different profiles, different pianists. Uh, but she has really an artistic approach. She's an artist herself, which, which is actually which makes all the difference. And what do you think about the historically informed performance practice? Because, for instance, I'm coming from this corner and we study like basso continuo and stuff like that. I, I think it's fantastic and I think that all classically trained musicians, they should actually do basso continuo. When you think about like the intentions, about the articulation, a lot of things, you cannot be sure that this was meant to be played that way. But still, the effort is beautiful. It's a research work. Do you also play with ornaments? Like if you play Bach, do you improvise ornaments? For sure. The music asks for that, naturally. Beethoven, Haydn, Mozart, even Chopin, you know. I know that it's, uh, for many people it would be like a scandal, but when you see that in, there are different versions of some pieces where the ornaments are different, and Chopin himself was not playing the same way all the time. The, the religion of the respected score arrived in the 20th century with the modern music. I think that we as musician performers, I mean, we choose the programs and we have, for example, if we give a recital, for two hours we have to live on stage with these great composers. So I think we have ourselves, we participate big time, we, we have, we, we can, uh, we, we are involved enough to actually uh, take some strong decisions. I mean, I could not imagine a concert where you just play and being shy about the great genius you play. Mm -hmm. No, I think you should take it with all your body and feel as close as possible to Beethoven or Bach or, and really try to, that's why I was talking about the spirit. Uh, the best way to respect for me is actually to, to be 100% even more <laughs> committed to what you are doing and take decisions, do our ornaments, do pose a pose that is not indicated on the score, if it serves the musical purpose. Also, I wanted to ask you about this concert that you played literally yesterday in Laufen and I discovered this concert by chance because in the morning I played in the church, like for Gottesdienst, you know? and then I saw the poster and I was like, Wait a second, <laughs> I'm coming back. You were playing with uh, Gidon Kreme, and what was this experience for you? What did it mean for you? We met with Gidon uh, seven years ago. He invited me to perform with him. We played Ravel Sonata, Shostakovich Sonata, Frank Sonata. We discovered that we, we share a lot of musical views and philosophical views. We are passionate about literature, cinema, art in general. And uh, Gidon is someone with whom you can really talk deeply on many, many subjects. We did uh, a wonderful project. The last recording actually I published is a Mirosh Magin uh, album on which you can find only compositions from this Polish composer that is not known by the audience. And I recorded this concerto with Kremerata Baltica. It was released two years ago and Gidon performs on the CD the first violin concerto of this same Mirosh Magin. And we perform duo pieces together. He, he never heard 
uh, about him. Nobody heard about him in the orchestra. So it was a great responsibility for me because I arrived with the score. You know, it's not it's unpublished music, so it's handwritten score. And I was nervous, but they loved it. And they really gave their best. And the, the recording, I, I'm very proud of it. I think it's this kind of recording that didn't sell much because, I mean, nobody knows this composer. This is, I'm very proud of this very special kind of success. It's not like selling a lot of copies of the CD, but it's actually inspiring some musicians to perform the music of this great composer who was uh, Miros Magin. This is the magic of art, that the voice of a man or a woman can actually talk to another man and woman centuries afterward and on the other side of the world. And I'm worried because now with the social media and the internet, we have this possibility to talk to anyone at any place of the world. And we have this possibility to answer to any question about any moment of history about because you have all this documentation available. And somehow it puts art in the shadow a bit because I think that what art is bringing us internet and social media also do in a cheaper way in a more ephemer how to say mm -hmm. this like yeah. go for something straight you have this emotion you explore this emotion you have an, a straight answer with your mobile phone to this emotion art is also here to disturb us mm -hmm. because when you listen to a concert sometimes you know you booked this concert months before and let's imagine months before you were still with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and life was just smiling to you and a few months after you lost your parent you lost your girlfriend or boyfriend you lost your job and still you go to this concert that you booked when you were in a happier moment and you don't want anymore to listen to this music but still you go and it will create a kind of dissonance but this dissonance is also art Actually, many things that attract me in art, they are uncomfortable uh, and they attract me for that. And you don't need to be super, uh, how to say, atonal, dissonant or noisy or experimental or something to be dissonant. I think that Mozart is very dissonant. I think that Schubert is very dissonant and Bach. And actually, when this music from the great masters is, for me, what I would call well played, it would not put you in a nice place. No, I would not call it a nice place. It would put you in an intense place. But some things that would help you explore also part of yourself, part of the feelings and, and develop some sensitivity. While now, it's, it looks like everything is more plain and more polished uh, and that we accept less and less the contradiction. Thank you very much for this fascinating talk, Luca. Guys, if you would like to contact me or if you would like to support my podcast, 
go ahead and you will find an email address in the description and see you soon. <laughs>